Now it's time to cross to the United States, to Boston, in fact, where Celeste Katz-Marston is our very special guest. Celeste, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good morning. Now, uh, this might shock people, but uh, the election is, well, now less than three weeks away. It just seems like a, a weird kind of campaign at the moment that President Trump is going out and he's, you know, appealing to voters by uh, having large rallies, which is what he's been doing for the last four or five years. But Joe Biden's been at home and he, he doesn't get out all that much. I know he might go to various states, but he doesn't host large rallies. I mean, what what's your take on all of the, the way that both sides have handled this uh, COVID campaign? Well, I think that President Trump, obviously, uh, even as somebody who contracted uh, coronavirus, uh, has a vested interest in getting out there. And uh, the rallies are what gets his base excited. He feeds off the sort of adulation and the big crowds and so on. So that's sort of a, a natural mode for him. And he's continued to do that with, of course, a brief break to get treated for COVID-19 at Walter Reed Medical Center. Uh, Joe Biden has also uh, sort of held back on the, the large-scale in Person events. He has done some smaller events. Uh, he's been wearing a mask and so on. Uh, the president, by comparison, has not been wearing a mask as frequently. But you do see sort of two different positionings here when it comes to campaigning in the time of COVID. The fact that the president has had COVID hasn't seemed to stop him in that regard. It was a very short uh, bout of it, unlike others who, you know, have had it for months and have never been able to really shake it off. And we still don't know what, you know, the ongoing, um, you know, damage might be. But it seems to have been a very, very light dose of it from what we can gather. What's, again, your take on that? Well, for one thing, it could be that President Trump did have a relatively mild case. You do see people who get extremely sick, end up on ventilators or worse, uh, or have a prolonged recovery period or sort of a, a relapse associated with uh, ongoing symptoms. Uh, President Trump, though, it's important to remember, had access to quite seriously the best healthcare in the world. He had a team of doctors at a you know a highly respected hospital, that being, again, Walter Reed. Um, he had access to experimental drugs like Regeneron. He had uh, uh, treatment with steroids and, and uh, you know, other, uh, other medications and so on. So his case, for a lot of reasons, is very different, I think, than what the average person who contracts COVID might expect. So it's hard to tell if he was naturally more resilient or if he benefited from these uh, you know, these many treatments that he was able to enjoy. And we don't know at the moment about the treatments that his wife, the First Lady, and his son, Barron, who uh, they've announced, uh, is, uh, uh, Melania Trump announced that, that Barron also had contracted COVID. Um, we don't really know their situation at the moment. She's spoken a little bit about their son. But we don't really know too much about how bad it was for both of them. What do we know? Yeah, Melania Trump, the first lady, did write an essay, uh, uh, which was posted on the White House website, about her experience with COVID. That's when she disclosed that her son, who is 14, uh, the son of the president and first lady, Baron Trump, uh, also tested positive for the virus from everything they're saying. Uh, 
he was basically asymptomatic, did not seem to experience any really dire effects. And we do see that uh, sometimes in younger people. Well, they can get the virus, but they tend to not experience these really dramatic uh, extreme symptoms. That's not always the case. And the other issue, of course, with even people who are asymptomatic, they can spread the virus and they can spread it to people who are more vulnerable. And that's part of the reason why it's uh, really of great concern when it comes to things like opening schools or gathering in large places. Uh, from what the first lady describes, she sort of took a what she called a more natural approach, uh, eating good food, getting rest, and so on, rather than going through this entire um, battery of treatments, including the kinds of experimental treatments that the president has has undergone. So uh, two very different approaches from what everybody is saying. Again, they all seem to be doing okay now. That is a little bit concerning, though. If you think, oh, no, I'll just eat healthy and be healthy, then I'm going to get over it because also i mean what we've seen with the president is you know because he had a, a relatively mild it seems very mild case of it you know his experience that's his experience with it if he'd had a terrible case of it then you know he would have a very different approach to it but because you know it came you know, it went he feels better he says he's immune that he's now uh, you know doesn't have any symptoms he thinks oh okay well that's what it's like when in fact it's that's not what it's like at all isn't it yeah, that's that's definitely a really important point. I think the president uh, having the treatment that he was able to enjoy and having the experience that he had with COVID-19, which has killed, as you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people in the United States uh, and infected many more and left them with problems. You know, that's really influenced, I think, the way he's talked about it. And he has directly encouraged the American people not to be afraid of the virus, not to let it dominate their their lives. And he's also advised them that if they do get sick, that we have all the medications necessary to help people get better, that it's not going to have uh, this dramatic effect, and essentially that people shouldn't worry about it. Again, the important thing to remember there is that it's just not the case that most Americans, or hardly any Americans, if any Americans, have access to the kinds of medical treatment and medications, including experimental therapies, that the president had. So I just don't think that it's really fair for him to speak to the American people about this being sort of a negligible concern when most people just don't have the access to health care that, uh, that he is afforded as the president. It would be interesting though, wouldn't it? Fascinating indeed that for someone who has treated it as not as big a problem uh, and you know not worn masks and dismissed a lot and dismissed a lot of the scientific evidence that he might be the person who, when they got it, you know, proved that these drugs work and those drugs hopefully then get sent out to everybody else. Yeah, I think even the uh, the president of the company, uh, Regeneron, which made one of the experimental therapies that uh, the president took, said that he is not, uh, you know, the, the paragon, the shining example or the proof that the drug is going to be effective in everyone. He's certainly part of the case history. He's part of the research as somebody, uh, you know, in this very small group of people who might have access to this and have been treated with this. But he is not proof that any one therapy therapy works or that uh, people who contract COVID-19 uh, will come through it without any uh, serious suffering or lasting effects. I think we've seen, in fact, that the opposite 
has been true that mm-hmm. there's uh, certainly aside from the deaths, people do describe these, uh, you know, this very long road back to recovery. So I don't think that Donald Trump really tells us anything about having COVID-19 and recovering it beyond his own experience. By the way, there's a little bit of skepticism from some of our listeners, uh, uh, Celeste, uh, Lorna and Gaz in particular, who said, uh, you know, they don't necessarily believe that Donald Trump had coronavirus. Now, it would require a fair bit of a conspiracy to get all those doctors to say that he had it when he didn't. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I think it's unlikely. Uh, And he didn't look well. That's fair to say. Now, I know he didn't have his makeup on, but he did look pale when he was in the hospital. Well, I do think it would be really hard to to sort of gin up a conspiracy by which the president admitted he said he had COVID, went into the hospital, stayed there for days, uh, came out and said he was better. I just think that there's a lot of engineering that goes into that. I also think the president is generally known as somebody who does not like to admit weakness yeah. or error. If you think about the the sort of ramifications of him talking about COVID not being a big deal and not wearing a mask and then actually getting it. Um, you know, I'm not his doctor and I'm not in his head. I don't like the the sort of Trump whisperer genre of reporting and I don't engage in it. Um, but I think that that's a pretty tough sell for him to have said that he, he got COVID-19 when in fact he didn't. Now, Julie wants to know about something, in fact, you, were, you are going to talk about. And that is, apart from making America great, what are Trump's policies for the next four years? I can't say he's really mentioned anything except for criticism of uh, Joe Biden and his son. In fact, really... Uh, I thought appalling criticism of Joe Biden during the week. I don't know whether the president feels that, you know, things are slipping away, but I just think the way he acted at that one of those rallies was really, it was demeaning to the presidency. Um, but what are his plans? What are the policies? What does he want to do? I'm not even sure what he's done the last four years, but let's concentrate on the next four years. I mean, the thing that he wanted to do was put as many people on the Supreme Court as possible, which is what's happened. Um, what does he want to do for the next four years? The Supreme Court is definitely, definitely a huge part of any president's legacy. And certainly with Donald Trump, the way it has worked out is uh, is that he has gotten to have a great impact on who sits on the court. As you know, we are in nomination, uh, confirmation hearings, I should say, with uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, who would he would like to have as the next justice to uh, replace the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, a lot of his policies seem like sort of generic Republican planks, you know, lowering taxes, um, limiting government regulation of industry, that kind of thing. But we all remember, you know, he's been very hard on immigration, talked about building the wall, uh, things like that. Uh, He's rolled back even things uh, like training on racial sensitivity for uh, government employees. Uh, So, you know, in some ways it has been sort of a paradigm shift during the Trump administration. Now, how much he can actually deliver on is a big question, you know, not, not only given his regular time sort of economic and social policies, but how COVID has really disrupted everything. The economy was sort of chugging along, whether that was due to Trump or due to things that were done under his predecessor, Barack Obama. That is certainly uh, a subject for analysis and debate. But I think that a lot of people are seeing now that Trump is spending a ton of time sort of on ad hominem attacks against uh, his Democratic challenger, Vice President Joe Biden, against uh, Biden's ticket make 
Senator Kamala Harris. So he really sort of thrives on this campaign uh, season uh, activity of going after people personally, trashing people, raising questions not only about uh, his challengers, but their families. He spent a lot of time attacking Hunter Biden, the vice president's son, and so on. And a lot of people are wondering, is there you know, is there some there there? Mm. And also, what is he doing to really differentiate how he would take the country forward in a positive way over, over the yeah. next four years versus what Joe Biden is putting out? Some people aren't sure. Yeah, in fact, uh, he wants to roll back the Affordable Care Act. He tried to do it in the Congress. That didn't happen. Now he's trying to do it through the uh, Supreme Court. We'll see what happens with that. Now, I wasn't aware of this, Celeste, that Boston is the Halloween capital of the world. And, of course, with people getting out and going around the streets and knocking on every door, kids as well, I mean, there's a concern about this. COVID-wise, uh, this is what the governor of uh, Massachusetts, uh, Charlie Baker, had to say about Halloween. The one piece of fundamental advice we would recommend, and I'm recommending this first because I've heard from many people who've been invited to these, is that indoor Halloween parties are a really bad idea. Wear a mask, and not just a mask of Superman or Wonder Woman, like a real mask. There you go. So what's going to happen? I mean, people do wear masks when they uh, go uh, trick-or-treating, so I suppose how different is it going to be? Yeah, uh, Massachusetts, and particularly the town of Salem uh, in Massachusetts, not far from Boston, is in fact the epicenter of Halloween, in part because that was uh, famously the site of the witch trials uh, here in the uh, you know in the colonies, um, and uh, people were tried and hanged and so on for engaging in witchcraft or having dealings with the devil. It's kind of this whole Halloweenish All Hallows Eve type of uh, type of thing that we have going on. But yeah, I mean the thing about it is you know Halloween is spooky, but COVID nineteen is scary. And so if you have people sort of thronging to this town to be at this this sort of historic site that is known for being scary, you don't want people to be packed in in close quarters. You don't want people to uh, say, well, okay, we'll skip trick-or-treating, going door-to-door and asking for candy and so on, but then congregating in houses, indoors, you know, maybe with the windows closed, without social distancing and masks, and getting sick. So um, kind of an unusual holiday alert, but it, it does sort of come at a bad time and i think that people are just encouraging everyone to think about it it's it's fun to have fun it's not fun to get coronavirus no definitely not and i don't want to go necessarily back to donald trump but reese in narara says the important message from donald trump was that if we need to live with the virus and that we need to live with the virus and get on with things now he's been able to do that that's not the case for a whole lot of other people with it or those who've lost people you know family members to the coronavirus yeah, I think that everybody to some extent agrees that, look, we can't live in this this sort of stasis forever. Yeah. We can't never go back to work or uh, go out and do the things we like to do. But I think that some people are sort of uh, exercising more caution and encouraging more caution uh, than the president in doing that. Mm. Yeah, there's that old line about a life lived in fear is a life half lived and that's certainly the case is you know people do live in fear and people that just things have not been able to open up again in most parts of the world and 
How long does this go on? I mean, when you see that in places like Italy, there are worse cases now, worse the numbers are worse now than they were when the whole place closed down. So, I don't know. We'll hopefully cross our fingers and see what happens. We'll talk again in two weeks, though, Celeste. I appreciate your time and uh, always good to chat. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, uh, the great Celeste Katz.